You're listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast from Judicial Watch. I'm Chris Farrell, and this is On Watch. Welcome to On Watch, everybody. We're glad that you took time out to join us. And uh, today we're going to speak with an attorney, a farmer, and an author by the name of John Clark. He's got a book out called Small Farm Republic. Uh, John seeks to defend and reclaim the fundamental rights to food and farming freedom, educating people about the health and environmental harms of processed foods and industrial agriculture. And this really all comes down to a question of environmentalism and food security. And so we're very fortunate today to have John Clark join us and to discuss his new book, Small Farm Republic. Welcome to On Watch, John. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, food security is a huge issue. There's also a lot of people who are uh, worried about or battling what amounts to, uh, in some cases, might really be a religion of environmentalism. Uh, there's a lot of hysteria wrapped up in that. And you've come up with a book uh, you've published called Small Farm Republic. And the subtitle is Why Conservatives Must Embrace Local Agriculture reject climate alarmism, and lead an environmental revival. Uh, that's a great title, and it's uh, a lot of a lot of good aspirational goals there in the subtitle. Uh, tell us about your book. Well, I'm smiling now because you're saying it's aspirational, and yet you may recall that conservatives once did lead on the environment, something I discuss in the book. And uh, that was under the Nixon administration with the EPA at a time when Americans were becoming increasingly concerned about contaminants in their food and in their environment. And we had a certain amount of unity on that until Al Gore came along and made it all about carbon. And now we're all fighting over carbon. And there's an interesting parallel between food and climate. So in your intro, I found it very intriguing. I've actually been working on this book for over two years, and I didn't anticipate the timing would be so apropos given what's going on in Europe and the battle against cows. It seems to be well-timed. And it sure what, does, yeah. yeah it, and I knew you'd get it with your background in unconventional warfare and how food could actually be used to control people, and the globalists are doing so, that it's interesting because um, it's pitting our farmers and our food supplies and our very human health against the climate challenge in a way that many other battles are not. And in fact, the WEF has now pivoted in saying that they must protect global food supplies in order to protect the the, uh, climate. And it's a lie, and the attacks on cows are actually designed to increase um, industrial control over our food. And so the premise of my book is that we could come back to a place and lead Americans where we all agree on local agriculture. It's it's not a, a purity test of organic versus conventional, but simply that local food is going to be less destructive to the ecosystem. We can all agree that it's good. It'll also bolster our local communities, improve food security instead of increasing our dependence on China and foreign nations. And it's something that that uh, conservatives can champion. And of course, helping cows back to the land will sequester carbon, whether you believe in global warming or not. But conservatives can get their teeth into this as a legitimate and viable environmental policy, and we conservatives need this. And we can do so without selling out to a cult that's not based on science and is based on fear. We should be more afraid of where our our food comes from than where our solar panels are going to come from. That is a tremendous point. And of course, part of the problem is that most Americans now are incredibly disconnected 
from the entire notion of farms and ranches, uh, whether it's growing crops, raising cattle. Uh, a lot of Americans think that food comes in a shrimp a shrink wrapped plastic container or, or out of a box. And yeah, I think maybe their sensitivity uh, was heightened with the whole supply chain nightmares that that COVID generated. I think people became a little more aware, but they're very used to walking into their store and seeing full shelves and everything neatly arranged and refrigerated and homogenized for your for your uh, safety. And so, uh, talk to us a little bit about how easily. Uh, our food security uh, can be disrupted and how Americans need to think a little bigger than just, you know, running into their local uh, Kroger or wherever they're living, whatever the chain is, and picking up a package of hamburger and running out the door to fix dinner. What, what, what are the bigger considerations? Well, and I'm, I'm glad you focused there because of the many different issues that converge in farming. Uh, food security is a big one. And with your background in the platform, I think it's the most important for us, one for us to address. And part of my insights into this actually stemmed from one of my first jobs being working in a grocery store stocking shelves. And at the age of 16, learning how quickly our food could evaporate. And we have become only more dependent on just-in-time inventories of food that is increasingly coming from abroad. Uh, and yes, COVID revealed that dependency. So we have a growing uh, disparity or dichotomy between people who do and people who do not understand where their food comes from and the perils that attend upon um, depending on government or large corporations for your food supplies versus the American revolutionaries or in industrious and um, self-reliant farmers who have always known that you, you trust the government for your shrink-wrapped food at your peril. And that's also part of the whole farm bill controversy. Again, interface between agriculture and uh, and the environmental issues. So I think actually more and more Americans are waking up and, and through COVID did and, and at seminars and other things I'm going to, on the one hand, having done this farming business because I raised animals for about 25 years, I've never seen people so out of touch with where their food is. It's, it's got worse. But at the same token, there is a percentage of people who are Leaving the cities, Vermont real estate prices have roughly doubled. There's no inventory. People are flocking out of New York City after COVID, and they're flocking to places where they can have more healthy food and more reliable food supplies. This is true food security. When uh, when the World Economic Forum, you know, the Davos crowd, uh, all, all the, the, the big brain folks, when they're sitting around in their conferences and they talk about protecting food supplies, I always, you know, I check their vocabulary. You know, they're, it's, it's always interesting. When they say protect food supplies, they really mean control food supplies, don't they? Well, they do. And, and it's really obvious. And this is why I think it's a real pivotal tip of the spear for Americans to look at is what they're saying. Uh, they just announced in Ireland that they're going to get rid of 200,000 cows after decades of pushing the growth of their domestic dairy industry. Likewise, in Holland and John Kerry, Kerry, our climate envoy, just said that we have to we may have to close farms in America to stop the cows. But this this pandering about cow flatulence ignores that cows actually produce manure, which can replace synthetic fertilizers, which are themselves manufactured from, among other things, natural gas, which is methane. And then you can rebuild the soils. You know, solar panels and EV cars do not rebuild soils. 
So when they say at the WEF and you see them closing in on food supplies, that they're going to make food more readily available, they mean bugs, they mean synthetic meats that they totally dominate, control the food and you control the people. And, you know, I'm a Second Amendment fan, but if I don't have food, then I can't man the, the you know, the uh, the defenses with my guns. If you have no food, you know, an army marches on its stomach. So they know this. And in fact, I think a lot of what they do with their social justice malarkey is uh, sort of watch the birdie distraction to keep us uh, going along with this effort to throttle us by dominating every source of food in the world. That's what they're out to do. John, talk to us a little bit about uh, the the number of, I guess it's really just a handful of the large commercial slaughterhouses in the United States and the fact that most of them are foreign owned. I mean, so I'm, I have some contact and I've worked over the years with cattle growers, uh, principally in Arizona, but elsewhere. Uh, because they've been battling uh, the crazed environmentalists who were worried about the Chiricahua spotted leopard frog and the long-nosed bat and all sorts of insanity in the southwest United States. But uh, you know, on the other end of the process, there's only so many people that are buying up commercial herds and processing them. And that's another problem for us, isn't it? Well, it's one of many, and we have many supply-side vulnerabilities. Our trucking system, which moves our fo- food, including our beef across the country, by the way, is dependent on diesel exhaust fluid, DEF. The trucks don't run without it due to EPA requirements. And we import our DEF from China. We had a shortage a year or two ago, showing our vulnerabilities to our entire distribution system. But we have strengthened in the name of profits. Actually, we've been doing this about 100 years. We've been consolidating agriculture to maximize profits, and nowhere has that been maybe more evident than in animal uh, facilities and and in processing. And in fact, when a few people got sick at some of the major processing facilities in America during COVID, they shut them down entirely. We increased our imports of Brazilian beef by 57%, and U.S. farmers had to dump their cows. We actually saw a beef uh, price drop last year in U.S. production, while consumer prices skyrocketed. So if you don't have the facilities to process your food, the middlemen are the ones making their profits. And uh, uh, a a fellow named uh, Dave Gumpert wrote a book about this a few years ago. It actually inspired me a lot called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. And that's why a lot of what I'm advocating for in this book, in my book about food security, is simply about restoring and supporting uh, the local right to raise your own food. And uh, we need more processing facilities, and COVID exposed this as well. In Vermont, many people jumped into farming, and they learned that there was no place to process their pigs. Even now, in many parts of the country, there's a one-year or more waiting list. I was down in Virginia recently to just get a cow uh, processed. If you're feeding a cow for another full year because you have to wait to get it processed, you've lost any profit you might have, let alone the other obvious problems with that. So, yes, and it's not confined just to meat processing. It's a dangerous vulnerability, and it's just a matter of time before it becomes exposed. So there's all sorts of wonderful nightmare scenarios about people contaminating the food supply, and I don't want to go into them because I don't want to give anybody ideas, frankly. But, uh, you know, when you look at a great big megalopolis, like, you know, the, the East Coast, you know, running, you know, from Boston basically down to, 
I guess, you know, you could push it and say all the way down to the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. You know, it's it's essentially one great big uh, alternating urban-suburban, urban-suburban kind of swath of humanity. Uh, explain to the folks living there how they can be connected uh, to a local food supply. Because they, they think that means going to the giant or the, you know, whatever the supermarket is. Ex- explain, say, hey, look, here are here are alternatives. These are ways that you can think about uh, ways to, to be local when it comes to food. Well, that's a great question, because first of all, I think people in the cities feel alienated from their food supply, and that can lead to a sort of cognitive dissonance where they either dislike their farmers or feel they have no skin in the game. And nobody has more skin in the game than urbanites, depending on rural farmers. Rome fell when it lost its outlying food while the senators were bickering over gender hormones or something. And um, so for people in the cities, there's actually a a huge growth of rooftop gardening, of aquaponics, indoor gardening, uh, lot, you know, on empty lot gardening. But most importantly, people in the city should become more connected with their rural farmers. They can be parts of CSAs. They can buy things online. Large corporations like Purdue and General Mills and others are also seeing the benefits to moving into some at least um, low-till or no-till practices and actually grass-fed meats. So Walmart is selling stuff that some of it might be reliably organic. When you support your local farmer, you're helping make it economically viable to counter the federally subsidized corn syrup and and uh, hydrogenated fats that are making you fat and sick. So it's a win-win to to become connected with local farms. It's uh, an extremely important point because, like you said, there, there's this this kind of a wall in the head over us them right uh, country farmer guys and uh, big city guys and you know there isn't a lot of sort of uh, connectivity or they, they don't necessarily embrace one another and like you said that can actually lead to an element of you know not hostility but just sort of alienation and uh, hugely important. John, let me uh, let me ask you: Do you have like a top three, top five kind of thing in your book that you 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 advocate or you push as being, you know, important policy points that conservatives can grab a hold of and say, "Hey, look, this is actually our issue. This is not the left's." Well, again, great question. Um, and yes, that rural-urban divide needs to be repaired. That's part of why we we destroy all of our children if we destroy our rural areas. And the big takeaways are conservatives still do care about the environment, whether or not they uh, buy into the carbon claims. We can all agree on chemicals that are making our children sterile and have cancer and and the phthalates and other chemicals in our water supplies that are impacting our reproductive systems. Uh, Another takeaway, a big one for conservatives is this is about food security. And we don't want to be like Sri Lanka and evaporate overnight our industrial food system. So it advocates for policies that over time would simply help smaller enterprises thrive, which have been unduly restricted for years of prop, uh, of subsidies and also regulatory policies. Restricting regulatory requirements for small producers would go a huge way towards restoring some of those processing facilities you mentioned. Um, it also, it goes chapter by chapter in with resources and directing people to other places where they can find out more about their food. Frankly, it's so intimidating. I mentioned cognitive dissonance. 
if you're living in the city, you might want to just put your blinders on and not look because there's a feeling that we have no control over our food supply. And there are those who want us to have that feeling and want to increase their dominance of our food supply. So ultimately, this is about liberty and it's about taking back uh, the distributist model of American society that once existed and must be reclaimed as the alternative to a gargantuan Green New Deal that will dominate all of our food in the name of uh, renewable, so-called renewable energy. And that's another big part of the book and why it's in the title is that in contrast with solar panels and EV cars, cows look an awful lot better. And so in the process of looking at farming, which is a big area of pollution, we suddenly see that these other so-called salvific remedies are not. They actually create more problems and more pollution. And they're the opposite of what they purport to be, just like the, the sales pitch for controlling our food. John, you've really hit the nail on the head with this book of yours. I just want to remind everybody, it's Small Farm Republic. Small Farm Republic, the subtitle. Why conservatives must embrace local agriculture, reject climate alarmism, and lead an environmental revival. And we were speaking with John Clark, K-L-A-R. John, where can folks find your book and uh, give give sort of a summation pitch so that uh, folks get motivated to get out there and read this and, and really look at solutions and not not end up uh, sitting around feeling like they're victims. Well, I thank you for this opportunity to hit the tip of the iceberg and yes, encourage people to read it because it's a compendium of resources for further reading. It's a summary of a lot of the issues and it will equip people, particularly conservatives to understand a lot of the lies about climate change, but also the real benefits of farming and the lies about cows. And it's available at Amazon. I also have an author website at smallfarmrepublic.com. And I have a Substack, which I certainly enjoy, uh, invite people to join uh, by the same name, Small Farm Republic, where I write about current events related to farming and other areas. All right, Judicial Watch supporters and listeners uh, to On Watch. Once again, Small Farm Republic, John Clar, K-L-A-R. Go to his website, which is smallfarmrepublic.com or Substack. And... Uh, you know, this isn't a big deal until it is a big deal. And when you walk into the grocery store and you realize that your food is being controlled, manipulated, restricted, regulated, constrained, or any other number of words that the left loves. Remember, the, the left always loves anything that's absolutely forbidden or absolutely mandatory. So when they get their hands on your food or your food supply, uh, and start regulating it and manipulating it in ways that uh, John talks about. You need, you will be alarmed, but why get there, right? Why, why surrender to that? And I think John's book has some great solutions and great alternatives. So I encourage everybody to get out there and buy Small Farm Republic uh, and go to the website, smallfarmrepublic.com. Get your hands on this book, get smart, and uh, let's think about our future in ways that we don't normally do. And uh, you know, if it isn't uh, out of control inflation and the weird uh, folks at uh, the World Economic Forum uh, manipulating us, uh, this is a great alternative, a great way to, to think about your food supply, food security, and environmentalism. John, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time today. 
Well, I'm very grateful and I'm really excited that you get it. The very fact that you're highlighting this issue, people are waking up. And in fact, I was just researching before I called the, the, the food inflation rates are still quite significantly higher than underlying inflation. They're going to stay that way. So it's time for people to wake up where their food comes from. So I'm very grateful that you're taking uh, the time to look at the issue. Amen. And I encourage uh, all of our listeners to go out and get a hold of John's book, get to his website, smallfarmrepublic.com. John, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, We appreciate your time. I'm Chris Farrell on Watch. Thanks for listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.